Digital Marketing Radio, episode 113. Should every business be split testing web pages? DigitalMarketingRadio.com. Today's episode is brought to you by DeepCrawl.com. When you need a comprehensive website crawler that identifies and monitors how your site is performing through the eyes of a search engine, I recommend DeepCrawl. DeepCrawl gives a complete and accurate picture of the health of your website architecture and identifies where the gaps are. Get your free website crawl of up to 10,000 URLs at deepcrawl.com slash report. That's deepcrawl.com forward slash report. The Big Interview with David Bain. Today I'm pleased to be talking to an award-winning website designer, a man who's created over 7,000 different A-B split tests. He's the founder and host of Marketing Optimization TV. Welcome to DMR, Alex Harris. Thank you for having me, David. It's a pleasure to have you here. You can find Alex over at alexdesigns.com. So Alex, what got you so passionate about website conversion rates? Yeah, I actually didn't know that I was doing conversion rate optimization when I first got started, but I actually didn't have a choice but to do CRO. I I got started on the web in the year 2000 at a very popular diet and fitness website, and the first project that I was given was to create landing pages that drove traffic from email marketing uh, newsletters. That happened in the year 2000, and the, the CEO that I was working for at the time, he was a an innovator. So we actually created our own in-house A-B testing system and we were, I was literally one of the first designers on the web to do A-B testing. Uh, it's not something I like to talk about or prove <laughs> it, but literally I was. I went out there, I started marketing myself as a landing page focused web, web designer and I just started getting a whole bunch of work and it was just amazing. It was, it was just so easy to, especially early in the early days of the web, just to put anything up there and we would just generate a ton of leads, a ton of sales. And then I really started to brand myself and, and get into SEO. And I was number one for the term landing page design for over five years. Wow. So, so what, what year was that then you, you really got kick-started? 2004. 2004. So that was before Google Website Optimizer then? Yeah, it was about the time that when they first got started, there was no A-B testing platforms at the time. We were using, if you remember back in the day, Macromedia owned this programming language called ColdFusion. Mm-hmm. So we created our own ColdFusion programming A-B testing platform. And it was, a lot of times I was doing the programming, and like I'm not a programmer, and this was kind of before object-oriented programming and things like that. And it was just like this long page of if-then statements. Mm. If you know, and, and we, I redirected all the traffic everywhere. It, it was a total mess, but it really worked really well. We we generated over way over a million email addresses, and from that, I, I I really just learned so much about direct marketing that I started to brand myself as a landing page focused web designer, and then I was able to start working with really some of the best conversion focused agencies out there. In particular, I was able to meet Brian Eisenberg, who became one of my mentors. Brian is a very popular keynote speaker on conversion rate optimization, and he wrote some of the early books on persuasion architecture and, as you mentioned, Google Website Optimizer about how to use conversion in your, in your marketing. So I was started basically becoming uh, Brian and, and Jeffrey Eisenberg's website designer, and they would refer me a ton of work. And... It just made sense for me to really go after and fine-tune uh, my conversion rate optimization practice. 
Wow. Okay. Um, and you're obviously really passionate about it as well. And um, you have you, found the area um, immediately by the sound of it um, where you love to be and um, you're you're good at as well. So that's so that's that's fantastic. It's funny you saying um, if then statements. It actually um, brings me way back to the 1980s when I was kind of growing up as a kid. And I remember, and I'm not a programmer either, but I, I remember the basic language and um, writing very, very simple programs. You know, line 10, do this, line line 20. If you know that, then then go to this as well. And um, I remember getting started um, using PHP um, roughly the same kind of time, about 2004 or something like that. And um, mm-hmm. the very basic include this um but um <laughs> I'm, I'm sure i'm less of a programmer than than you even but um it's 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 great just getting being able to get your hands a little bit dirty and, and, and know a, a touch of code because then you can understand how things are actually working and, and why things happen as they do um mm-hmm. so i mean nowadays fast forward 10 years or so, um, we, we've got so many incredible bits of um, conversion rate optimization software. We've got uh, amazing landing page software and services like Unbounce. Um, do you mm-hmm. think it's still a good idea for people to know the basics of HTML and, and basic coding? Absolutely. There comes a time as an entrepreneur that you're going to probably have to write a blog post, create a landing page, bold a word, you need to have some of the basics of code in order to really do as much as you want on the web. Of course, you can have a team and have your VAs all do that, but you need to know some of the basics. Like if you can't create a link, like an Ahref link, you know, that's a little bit, you know, you need to have at least the fundamentals, you know, HTML for dummies, you don't need to necessarily know CSS. But me, I, I started out as a website designer. And I wanted, I'll tell you the story. I would create my, my web pages. I was using a Mac in 2000. I would create my web pages. I would put them into HTML, and then I would upload them online. And my marketing team would come to me and say, do you know we just looked at this on a PC, and it doesn't look right at all? <laughs> so I learned about QA. I learned about bug testing and things like that. And, and through that, it helped me understand the possibilities of what you could do with the software. The, to be able to code your own website, to turn your, your website designs perfectly into the function that you want them to do. So understanding design, code, and then marketing all together, it makes you unique. It makes you really stand out from all the rest. And fast forward 15 years, it's really not hard to create a pretty website anymore. Hmm. But it is hard to actually make it convert, make it persuasive, and make it really focused on your overall objectives. Now, you've done thousands of different split tests. And um, I was actually watching the most recent episode of your podcast, uh, Marketing Optimization TV, and uh, that's episode 104 as we record this. And um, Ton, your guest uh, on that episode, says that if you're getting below 1,000 conversions per month, then don't do A-B testing, A-B split testing. Is that something you agree with? No. <laughs> well, Tan comes from a different perspective. They work with bigger companies. Mm. So my benchmark is you need – it comes down to an individual experience. Every website is made up of an 80-20 rule. You're making 80% of your traffic off of 20% of your pages. So if you can define in Google Analytics your top traffic landing pages 
and some of those pages are receiving more than 100 sessions per month, preferably 200 sessions per month, that is the minimum amount for you to start testing. If you're not getting conversions, you know, you probably have either a bad product that nobody wants or you have problems with your website. For us to do A-B testing on a low traffic website, we need to have at least 100 sales on each side of the test, a total of 200 conversions. That's the, the, the bottom line minimum. In order to do that, you probably have to have at least 100 unique visitors per page per day. If you're going after leads, you need to have at least 200 conversions on, on each side of the test. That will really work for low traffic websites. But you know, if you're kind of on that cutting edge of not getting 200 conversions per month, then I would say you're better off not testing at all. You, you're better off just iterating, just trying things quickly and then documenting the historical data of what changes that you make to see if they make a difference. And I go through this all the time with low traffic sites. You can go into Google Analytics and add notes to your timeline, to the, those graphs, and they're called annotations. So you want to build up a historical history, for lack of better words, of the changes that you make to your website. That way you can figure out what is working and what is not working because all you want to do is see more spikes in your conversions. You want to see more people actually checking out. So if you can document what happens when those spikes happen, maybe you send out an email. Maybe you have a great Facebook uh, marketing promotion going on. If you could really replicate those things consistently, then you're going to consistently get more conversions. Yeah, uh, great few tips there. And um, do you actually focus on A-B split testing or do you also do multivariate tests as well? It's a great question. We used to do a lot of multivariate tests. Not as much anymore. Basically, you have to have a lot of traffic in order to do multivariate testing. A lot of traffic. You know, instead of A-B, now you have A, B, C, and D. So now you have to have 400 conversions within a month of just one test. So it's not really worth it to do multivariate unless you have a tremendous amount of traffic. You really want to just stick with A, a and B. Okay. And there, there are, of course, um, so many amazing um, landing page software templates that you can get mm -hmm. now, things like lead pages and, and unbounce and um, lo lots of other things that I'm sure you could, could name as well. Do businesses generally do better by using these but pre-built templates, pre-tested templates, or mm -hmm. is using their existing website and tweaking that a better starting point? Uh, it's a good question, and I have probably maybe a different answer than most. These tools are great. It really doesn't matter. I, I'm a big fan of Unbounce, big fan of lead pages, some creating your own custom landing pages. It doesn't matter how you do it. It comes down to the why and understanding your customer better and why or why not they're converting. Do you have good copy? Do you have a good call to action? Do you have a good offer? Do you have a good product? That's what it really kind of comes down to. Now, if you want to break down the tools, we tend to use Unbounce for pay-per-click landing pages. Coming specific off of AdWords, they tend to work a lot better than some other type of landing pages. In Facebook advertising, to just collect email opt-ins, we use lead pages. And just because we just use the different tools in a different way, and that, that 
that works for me. It may not necessarily work for you. It's just a strategy that I've seen that really has worked. Okay, and, and for doing the actual split tests, do you use any third-party tools as well, or do you tend to actually rely on the actual tools themselves to provide you with, with that split test? For, for the most part, we rely on third-party tools, either Optimizely or Visual Website Optimizer are the, t- uh, the two A-B testing tools that we use the most. You can do split testing inside of lead pages, but we prefer to actually use the third-party tools. So we have kind of, you know, a, a different kind of set of data, and it's kind of easier to track. Whatever your main objective is, you can track that differently. So if uh, your objective is email opt-ins, you know, you can make a conversion for that. But if your objective is revenue, you want to be able to track not only the amount of conversions, the conversion rate, but you also want to track the amount of revenue that you generate. And that's not as easy to track within those um, within Unbounce or Lead Pages. So we use a Visual Website Optimizer or Optimizely to track revenue. Okay, uh, and obviously web- website design changes often. Um, qu- quite a few years ago, I'm sure you were designing static web pages to a, a fixed pixel pixel width, and now we've got responsive website design with web pages that have to look on, look good on so many different widths of devices out there, tablets and mobile devices. Um, yeah. What, what um, are the biggest um, significant um, things happening in website design now that, that, that a business has to pay attention to and has to ensure that um, they're designing a page to look as good and be as effective as possible using, using these thoughts? Yeah, there's a lot of things that, that people do wrong. Um, but I would answer that as the way that you see your website is a lot different than the way your customer sees it. So we use some advanced tools these days to extract the voice of the customer and that customer insight. What, what are the reasons why that people convert or not convert? So we, we'll use specific tools to understand how to make that experience better for the customer. Tools like, like Hotjar. Hotjar is a great tool to be able to collect heat maps, mouse tracking, and then polls or surveys. Let's say people are going down your funnel and they drop off right before the checkout or right before they're about to opt in. You can pop open a little poll and says, what is this page missing? Or why are you not converting? And the opposite end of that, after they do convert and they go to those thank you pages, you can ask them, what made you opt in today? What's the biggest challenge in your business today? So with today's technology and tools, it kind of comes down to understanding human behavior, that customer mindset. And when talking about responsive design, too many businesses make assumptions that their website is perfect. So I, I challenge you to open up your website on your phone. And if you don't have a call to action button above the fold, you don't have to scroll down to the button. If you don't have a call to action button above the fold in your mobile experience, you're missing opportunities to collect a lot of email addresses. So with technology, as it's become more advanced, it's actually made the marketer lazy. It's made us more efficient, but us as marketers, we need to understand human behavior and then use responsive design along with advanced tools like Hotjar to mix the technology with what's really going in the customer's mind so you can create an experience to really solve the problem that they're there to do. Right, okay. And um, 
I'm, I'm wondering whether to, to ask this or not, actually, because it's a really t- tough question. So um, feel free to say I, I'm not sure, because um, I'm wondering about the future. Um, There's the, the so many changes that have happened over the last few years. Um, can you possibly pick one or two things um, that are likely to happen in the future, maybe in relation to people moving towards uh, viewing the web on televisions or perhaps more tablet devices. Um, What direction do you think web design will move in over the next 12 months or so because of changes in devices or consumer behavior? It's a good question. I actually thought that video, consuming video, on your TV would be more popular for older people at this point than it is today. With Apple TV or um, you know Google Chromecast or whatever it is, I actually thought that video podcasts and video would be consumed in your living room on your TV more at this point. I think the future is still going there, but it all kind of comes down to how people really consume content. People consume content in different ways. Some people like video. Some people like audio. Some people like to read. Some people, um, you know, like to interact and things like that. So I think the future is moving towards a more personalized web. How you want to consume that media, it's going to be up to you. It's not about what device you're on. It's about what experience you're in. Maybe you're hanging out with your family and you want to show them videos and you're showing them on your iPad. But did you know you can click one button and that YouTube video can be instantly on your Apple TV in just a second? A lot of people don't know that. So I think the web is going to consistently evolve to a more overall experiential with uh, things like virtual reality, which have, you know, Oculus Rift have, have come a long way, but they're still not widely adopted. But I think the future is going to be how people consume media. Now, CRO, the future of CRO, I think it all is going to come down to more advanced tools. Me having a conversion rate optimization focused podcast, I interview a lot of new technologies. So I see how many new software as a service companies are coming online to you know, compete with Google Analytics or things like that. You know, Google Analytics will probably always be free, but there's a lot of alternatives that you can pay for. And I think the future really is in uh, organizing that data to be more useful. Right now, people are collecting all this information, but they don't know how to use it in an easy-to-understand way. So I think the future is in analytics, specifically predictive analytics, and how you could uh, have these dashboards that really show what's going on. You know, you have all this data from, uh, you know, Google Analytics, Optimizely, VWO, all these other places, all the tests that you're running. How can you get all that data really into one place so it's actually useful for your marketing team? That's a wonderful answer. I'm I'm glad I did ask you that question. So (laughs) thanks for that. Um, But let's uh, segue into the second section of our discussion. So that focuses more on your thoughts on where digital marketing in general has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Well, my my marketing stack combines of VWO and Optimizely. Those are my main testing platforms. Google Analytics, Hotjar or Inspectlet are the the tools that I use for, for heat maps, SurveyMonkey I use for, or for surveys. So I have a specific set of tools that I use basically for every single project. And they're based off of quantitative tools like Google Analytics, 
or qualitative tools like Hotjar, Inspectlet, SurveyMonkey, and UserTesting.com. Those are basically tools that help me cut through the clutter to understand exactly what's going on in uh, on the person's website. So something like UserTesting.com is a great example. It's a way that you can watch people go through your website, your competitors' websites, and different Google search queries. That helps us analyze how people filter through your funnels and, and complete an action. You can literally watch people go through the entire process and see where they have friction or have problems and drop off. That helps us really identify really quickly where there's a problem on your website. So you know those tools really all combined together, they help us get better results in a shorter amount of time. Okay, well, here's a slightly more challenging question. What piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about, and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Mm, what a great question. It's probably probably one of the more expensive tools. I, I have a lot of experience with things like HubSpot, and HubSpot is always evolving. It's a really great tool, and we have some experience with that. But I would really love to use things like Marketo, a really advanced tool, uh, or how about um, email personalization? Uh, Vero, Vero is a great tool. We use it on uh, some e-commerce sites, but I would love to use it on even more. And what Vero does is that's unique. It does behavioral targeting email campaigns. So let's say someone's on your blog and they go to one of your most popular posts, and they're already on your email list. Vero can know what sections of the website that they go to, then automate the emails that they receive. That way it's very intentional on a one-by-one -one basis to be able to personalize the experience. Now, that leads me to the personalization part. There's probably a lot more software out there that does really advanced personalization tools, and I would definitely like to use some of that those tools as well. Yeah, I mean, that's um, verging on artificial intelligence there. It's, it's just becoming so clever. It's incredible. And so, Robot taking over the world. <laughs> well, lots of incredible tools you mentioned there. So what I'll do is I'll troll through them all and I'll include links to them all in the show notes at um, digitalmarketingradio.com. Um, but moving on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Hmm, another great question. What wish I would have done differently? Well, I'll tell you what, what has worked for me now that I didn't do in the past that really does work. And it comes down to the feedback loop. How can I iterate? You hear about the lean process these days, how you can create MVPs, minimal viable products. And I, I actually built my own landing page uh, company uh, when I got out of corporate, I built my own landing page project. It was called createlandingpages.com, and if you go there now today, you'll just get a bunch of free landing pages. But I wanted, I had a whole bunch of landing pages, so I wanted to sell them. And what I wish I did at the beginning was survey my audience to see what products that they want me to build and then pre-sell it before I actually created it. So I definitely wish I would have done that because I would have saved a lot of money. But what I learned from it, I learned really advanced WordPress skills from that. So it wasn't a failure to me. It was just a really learning experience. So the, what I wish I would have known when I first started or the beginning was the feedback loop. How quickly can you get feedback and then iterate? Before you spend too much time or too much money on a project that may or may not be successful, try to get a lot of feedback ahead of time. Brilliant advice there. 
But moving on to... The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions and just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. So, ready to go? Ready. Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Both. <laughs> Affiliates or display advertising? Affiliates. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one relations? One-on-one relations. Paid search or SEO? Paid search. Email contact form or telephone number? Email contact form. Website or app? Websites. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Global. You used your both up fairly early on in the stage there, but um, um, audio or video had you sweating? (laughs) Yeah, well, you you know how it is when you create a podcast in in video, you know, there's a reason why you created it in video and we we all love audio too, so it has its purpose. Absolutely. do you you don't you don't veer towards either side at all because I mean I I, I kind of like audio but um, certain episodes do particularly well in on, on video. Um, I remember in, interviewing Martin Shervington um, of uh, kind of Google Plus fame and you know he's got a million followers in Google Plus and he shared it and you know it it went flying on video. And I've, I've released seminars on YouTube that have done very, very well and got tens of thousands of, of views. But by and large, um, the more listens I get are um, audio f- for my podcast episodes. So um, I'm not sure if that's because I navigate towards that and prefer that um, mm-hmm. or, or it's the, you know, I don't know, it just happens like that. Yeah, it's, it's the nature of video. People have low attention spans. So they tend not to watch longer videos. Me, personally, I, I love watching video, but a lot of times I put it in the background and I still listen to it, maybe on you know, HTML5, YouTube player, double speed. And you know, I, I consume a lot of content that way, for sure. And I have a playlist of videos that I watch over and over. But it's really the same thing with audio, too. I'm a huge SoundCloud user. I love SoundCloud. I love finding people who are creative with podcasts or hip-hop and things like that or electronica so uh, you know either way I, I i really love both i consume the content in different ways no same same here i mean i mean, I, I, I like watching audio only uh, only um podcasts that have happened to be recorded on video uh, you know i mean things like your marketing optimization tv things like um, mixer g um things like podcasters roundtable as well um because you, you hear a comment and then someone's reaction to that and their, their tone of voice is maybe slightly different and it's good to actually see someone's face just to see if they're trying to be funny or how yeah. they're how they're reacting to something so it's, it's quite interesting yeah and as a podcaster you know we we work in you know, a lot of times we, we either work for ourselves or we work at home, but we definitely work in silos. And, you know, it can be very easy to say that, oh, no one's listening to our show. But then you go to a conference, and because you have a video podcast, people recognize your face. It also helps you become more of an influencer. It helps you get public speaking gigs. And, you know, it, as you said, if people 
you, you see that nonverbal activity and people kind of really relate to you um, and, and trust you more. I know that if someone was going to hire me as a consultant, they're more likely to watch my video, read a blog post, listen to a, a podcast before they actually hire me. And that one of those key things is that they see my face and they trust me. The $10,000 question. So if I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Well, I attribute a lot of my success to networking. So I would spend the $10,000 to go to something like a very high-profile mastermind where I know that I will be able to meet other like-minded people. And what I would do is I would... If I needed the work, I would actually offer my services for free. I would try to get involved with the highest profile person you can because if you shoot for the stars, you're probably going to land on the moon. So you can probably do some work and show up that you're reliable, that you're surrounding yourself with really like-minded people. And I would go to a very high-ticket mastermind where I spend like three days with like the, the top people in, in the space, and that will help me get my knowledge to the, the completely next level. That's interesting, um, yeah. because it's actually involving offline with online there as well. And the, the two are working very closely in sync now. And, and that's great, because there's a stage um, 10 years ago or so where they were, they were very separate indeed. And um, um, online was seen as this uh, magical place that um, only certain SEOs and uh, other internet marketers went and they, they never showed their face. But it's, it's so nice that it's integrated and, and part of marketing in general now. Yeah, I, I have really, when you take your online relationships offline and meet people at conferences in real life, it makes a dramatic difference. You you can t turn to people for feedback, as we talked about earlier. You can get people on beta uh, parts of your project. If you release a book or a podcast, they'll be there to give you a review and help you launch. Those online relationships are very important, but you want to take them offline. My number one takeaway. Well, Alex, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their own businesses? It's not about winning awards. It's really about getting results, not only for yourself and for your clients or the companies that you work for, but you really want to build yourself as a person of character focused on results. If you are known to produce and produce results, you'll always be able to get a job. So don't assume that you just need to have a pretty website. You want to really have it focused on results. Great, great advice there. Well, that takes us to the end of our discussion today. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. What's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do? Yeah, I love connecting with other like-minded entrepreneurs, whether you're doing digital marketing, conversion rate optimization, and pretty much everywhere. You can probably see it right here or over there somewhere. <laughs> there you go. But um, most people actually know me by my Twitter handle. It's at Alex Designs. I would love to connect with any of you out there. I offer a lot of uh, free courses. I do have two books on e-commerce and conversion rate optimization, and you can find out about that all at alexdesigns.com. Great. Okay. Well, thanks again, Alex. And um, thank you, dear listener, for joining us as well. Um, if you like what you heard, I'd really appreciate your feedback. So just go to digitalmarketingradio.com slash iTunes. And please leave an honest rating and review at 
It'd be absolutely fab to hear from you, and of course, it would help to improve the overall ranking of the show on iTunes as well. And finally, I'm also hosting a brand new live weekly show as well. So that's um, every Friday. And if you go to thisweekinorganic.com, you can find out more about that. But that's all for now. Until we meet again, adios. Thanks again, Alex. Thank you.